friends, and welcome to the Scripture Study Project, our podcast that gives you a fresh and faithful study that will renew your excitement for your own personal study and help you passionately teach what you are learning to others. We are your hosts, Krista and Zach Horton, and we are excited to be with you for another episode today. We are studying in Luke 12 through 17 and John chapter 11. This is kind of part two, um, or at least the sequel to last week's study, where we focused on uh, Jesus as the good shepherd and recognizing his voice um, and focusing on him. This week, we're focusing on the sheep, on us. What is it that gets us lost? What is it that helps us come back? And what lessons can we learn on maybe keeping ourselves not lost, but also helping to rescue and reach out to, to others that might feel lost themselves. So we're really excited about the study. Uh, I'm excited to dive in. Um, in place of our traditional study tip or teaching tip or, or segment that we do at the beginning of the episode, we're going to move that to the end. I have like a minute or two soapbox that I want to get on, but I want to get on at the end of the episode because I want to draw on what we're going to study in these scriptures. So the real test for this is going to be if you can hold a soapbox to one or two minutes. One or two minutes. I like that you said one at first and you're like, actually, maybe two. Maybe one or two. But well, that's the power I of, believe in that's you, That's the Zach. power of editing. I'll give a six-minute soapbox <laughs> and then I get to edit it back Very to one true. minute. Very true. So okay. we're going to dive in, though. Um, three driving questions this week. Um, there's a lot in this. This is a big block this week. If you're looking at it, there's a lot of chapters. Um, one of the really unique chapters to Luke, though, is Luke chapter 15, where he gives these, what we, what I've often called just the parables of the lost. It's the parable of the lost sheep, the parable of the lost piece of silver, the parable of the prodigal son, the lost son. Um, and that's kind of where we want to start with three driving questions. Question one, what is it that gets us lost? How do we get lost as sheep? And Luke records two kind of ideas here that the Savior teaches. The second question, um, what does Jesus do about the lost? And of course, there's an obvious answer to that question, but there's also a not so obvious question or answer uh, that I think Luke emphasizes. And then question three, what lessons can we learn from these parables of the lost to either help ourselves stop getting lost, but maybe more importantly, how we can help others who themselves feel lost. So, Question one, how do we get lost? There's three um, three lost things in Luke chapter 15. There's the lost sheep, the first four verses, I think. First, oh, what was it? First seven verses. Then there's the lost piece of silver and the next three verses, eight through 10. And then there's the prodigal son. If you're looking for comparisons between those, um, Jesus will sometimes put, or, or the gospel writers and the Savior himself will put parables next to each other so that you can compare and contrast what's the same and what's different. Well, of course, the similarities in these parables is that something gets lost and then that something gets found. What's different is how those three things get lost. So in looking at the first parable, the parable of the lost sheep, a sheep gets lost because it wanders off. Now, it's not because the sheep wants to get lost. The sheep isn't rebelling against the shepherd. The sheep is just careless and or ignorant. Um, and so that's the first thing that, or the first cause of getting lost is, is 
ignorance or, or carelessness, not a specific sin or a specific rebellion, just accident on my part. I got lost because I did something wrong that I didn't know I should do, or a, a child gets lost because they did something wrong that they kind of got caught up in and it wasn't really something they sought out. Um, and I'm sure you could and we could think of examples either in our own lives or in the lives of people that we love where that's how they get lost. Just careless, um, maybe recklessness, um, not any willful rebellion, but just accident on our part. The parable of the coin, the coin gets lost. It's an inanimate object, so it doesn't do anything to get lost in and of itself. The coin gets lost because of carelessness or negligence on the part of the coin holder. Uh, and this one's probably maybe a little bit easier even for us to identify with because we can think of people that have left activity in the church or leave family relationships because of offenses from others. And it's not that someone wanted to drive them away, but a, a ward member says X, Y, or Z, uh, ignorant of the fact that that might offend this individual and they leave. Um, I've got people in my own family and that, that leave because of someone offended them, someone hurt them way back in their history, and that coin is still lost somewhere. They're disconnected. In the third story, the prodigal son, uh, he gets lost because of disobedience, because of willful rebellion against his father. And that's maybe the easiest one to identify with because we can all think of examples in our lives or in the lives of those that we love where they get lost um, from God because they they want to. They want to wander off. They want to be on their own. We want to wander off. We want to be on our own. We want to follow our own wills and our own desires. Um, and until we, as the parable says, come to our senses, we remain lost. It's a It's an agency thing I'm choosing. Now, I'm sure there's many other reasons why people get lost, why we get lost, but that's a really simple way to view it. We get lost because of our carelessness. We get lost because of others' negligence or others' carelessness, or we get lost because of willful disobedience. And so if those are the reasons why we get lost, um, what Luke focuses on is that third reason. Uh, the parable of the prodigal son is the longest one, and uh, the chapters surrounding Luke 15 um, all focus on that, where we get lost because we're focused too much on, you know, the prodigal son, he gets lost because he's focused on the things of the world. Luke surrounds Luke chapter 15 with all these examples and push and pull of people focusing on worldly things, on wealth, on possessions, etc., coming to the Savior and asking him, divide my father's inheritance or tell my brother that he needs to divide his inheritance with me, help us split our money. Or um, looking at those that are wealthy and comparing them to those that are poor. The parable of Lazarus at the end of chapter uh, 16, I think. All these parables where money, worldliness is kind of the focus. And so I think one of Luke's main messages is, with those three reasons why people get lost, the one that he wants to focus on is the things that we do that um, our rebelliousness, our disobedience that cause us to be lost. I think we get the answer to that, or at least maybe the beginnings of the answer to that in Luke chapter 12. Um, the, it's the story of, of the man who asked Jesus um, to invite, divide his inheritance. And, um, and Jesus tells a parable. He says, a rich man's land was very productive. He thought to himself, what should I do since I don't have anywhere to store my crops? 
and then he gets the great idea, I will do this. I'll tear down my barns and build bigger ones and store all my grain and my goods there. Then I'll say to myself, you have many goods stored up for many years. Take it easy, eat, drink, and enjoy yourself. But God said to him, you fool, this very night your life is demanded of you, and the things you have prepared, whose will they be? So this guy is really excited about his idea that he's going to store all of his stuff and have a great palace of all of his worldly, worldly possessions, and then is told, well, you're going to die tonight, so it doesn't really matter anyway. Um, And then Jesus says, that's how it is with the one who stores up treasures for himself and is not rich toward God. Um, And then we get the beautiful teaching of the consider the lilies chapters is what I'll call them, I guess. Um, And where it comes, one of my favorite verses is in verse, chapter 12, verse 31. But seek ye first the kingdom of God, and all these things will be given you. Um, And I think that teaches us an important lesson when he's comparing the birds and the flowers and saying, look at them. They don't worry about the the things. They know that I'm going to take care of them. They know that I'm going to show them where they need to go and I'm going to provide for them the, the water and the things that they need to grow. Um, and so I think that's really one of the, one of the lessons that we can learn from this. As we look into these different stories, I think that's one of the big things one of the main reasons that we get lost today, um, for all of those reasons, the focus of where where we're supposed to be and what we're supposed to be doing, maybe we focus on those big barns and storing all of our mm. goods and storing those those worldly possessions that we have. And those can get really distracting. They're really loud and really flashy and really awesome. Um, but if we're truly putting our focus, and I think like Zach was saying, putting that kind of going back to last week and talking about the shepherd, are we listening to the shepherd? Maybe this is more of a, are we, where is our focus? Where are our eyes? Mm-hmm. Thinking of where was our, where were our ears? Where are our eyes this time? And who are we, what are we really focusing? Um, and I think that's that verse 31 I that I already read was, you know, seek ye first the kingdom of God. And how are we doing that? And how does that keep us not lost or on track or safe? You know, this makes me think at the end of Luke, uh, this is chapter 16, verse 13. And it's a well-known phrase uh, because Matthew puts it in the Sermon on the Mount. No servant can serve two masters for either he will hate the one and love the other or else he will hold to the one and despise the other. You cannot serve God and mammon. Mammon being a word for the world. And we talked about that when we did the the Sermon on the Mount. Luke's interesting, though, because he pulls that phrase out of the Sermon on the Mount and puts it right in the middle of this discussion in Luke 16, which is similar to the one in Luke 12 about worldliness and wealth and the accumulation of wealth. He tells the parable of Lazarus and the poor man. You know, Lazarus was the one that was this poor beggar and the rich man, when they get, when they both die, the rich man ends up in hell and Lazarus ends up in Abraham's lap and you see that what Lazarus was focused on um, or what the rich man was focused on got him nothing and Lazarus of course ends up in heaven and the contrast is so sharp there Um, that's where Luke puts this one verse you can't serve both and I think what you said I, I I'm looking at this and I'm thinking that's that's the wrestle of our world today the quest for a bigger barn 
everything. We've been talking a lot about this, that it's your, your worth, quote the world, is based on how big your barn is. You need a bigger house. You need a bigger car. You need uh, bigger vacations for your families. Um, and we know that, but it still gets to us, especially with social media. It's everyone posting their big barns on social media. And it's well, really not hard. not just social media, but I think that the world is smaller with the media. You know, you mm. it's a lot easier to travel and gain and acquire things that it makes it a lot easier to feel that, that pressure. But I think that the... I love that verse of thinking you can't serve two masters, but I think the stories that we're going to read and the scriptures point us because I really believe that I think I love that scripture so much and that seek ye first the kingdom of God and all will be added to you is because I really think that as we focus on the one true God, the one true master, the one true person who's going to lead us, that he he allows you to acquire hmm. richness and greatness in ways that Almost maybe like the world doesn't teach. You focus on God and then he focuses on you. Yeah, then he gives you all what of you, those things. What you need. Exactly. Right. So where is our focus as we try to not get lost? <laughs> so that is what gets us lost. Or at least one of the many things that gets us lost is the lost, the focused on the big barn, the focus on the world, the focus on the accumulation of worldly wealth. Um how does Jesus feel, though, about the lost? That's the second question I think Luke 15 answers. And you can get a sense from it just from the first couple of verses. So this is the parable of the lost sheep. Um, verse 4. What man of you, having a hundred sheep, if he lose one of them, doth not leave the ninety and nine in the wilderness, and go after that which is lost until he find it? And when he hath found it, he lays it on his shoulders, rejoicing. And when he comes home, he calls together his friends and his neighbors, saying, Rejoice with me, for I have found my sheep which is lost. The symbolism is rich, and it's really obvious, but it's still so good of how Jesus feels about us. When we wander off, that's how he feels when he's able to rescue us. The parable of the lost coin, verse 9, Rejoice with me, for I have found the peace which was lost. Likewise, I say that there is joy in the presence of the angels of God, over one sinner that repenteth. So the second parable ends with someone being found. Um, these two parables, I think we get, right? The sheep, it's not the sheep's fault. And so, of course, the shepherd loves the sheep and goes after the sheep and rescues the sheep. And when he rescues the sheep, he feels love and it rejoices. The coin, it's not the coin's fault that the coin was lost. And so, of course, the woman feels grateful and she finds the coin and she rejoices and, and is and is filled with love and, and, and gratitude. But the third parable is a tricky one because the third parable is a story about someone who loses themselves, um, who rejects the father's attempts at rescue and says, I want to do my own thing. How does Jesus feel about that lost person? And one of my favorite things in this whole chapter, and maybe even all of the New Testament, is the way the father responds when the son comes back. Um, I want to start in verse 18. Here's the son's recognition. Well, verse 17, when he came to himself. I love that phrase. Verse 18, I will arise and go to my father. You can't help read that without putting religious tones to it. I will arise and go to my father. And I will say to him, Father, I have sinned against heaven and before thee, and am no more worthy to be called thy son. 
Make me as one of thy hired servants. How often we feel that when we lose ourselves through disobedience or through sin or through um, rebelliousness. And he arose and came to his father and then this. But when he was yet a great way off, his father saw him, had compassion on him, and ran, fell on his neck, and kissed him. And the son said unto him, Father, I have sinned against heaven and in thy sight, and am no more worthy to be called thy son. But his father said to his servants, Bring forth the best robe, and put it on him, and put on it put a ring on his hand and shoes on his feet and bring hither the fatted calf and kill it and let us eat and be merry. For my son was dead and is alive again. He was lost and is found. And they began to be merry. I love, I've heard someone describe this as, this isn't just uh, conditional forgiveness. This isn't just half priced or half willing love. This isn't a father who says, well, you did do some dumb things. Maybe you can work it off over the next couple of years. This is robe on the shoulders, finger ring on the finger forgiveness. The robe and the ring symbolize royalty. Here's the father, the king, coming to his son who just barely returned and says, I don't care what you've done. I'm going to put the robe on your shoulders and the ring on your fingers because you've come back to me. And I love that image that when we feel that way, when we feel lost, um, sometimes it's just the matter of coming to ourselves and then returning to our Father. And then he runs to us, embraces us, puts his robe on our shoulder, his ring on our finger, and says, my, my son, my daughter is back. And that's how he feels. I think this is another example of what we talked about a few weeks ago with that forgiveness of really understanding in this story, illustrating the power of and the completeness of God's forgiveness. So the question, third question then is, with all of these points given that we can lose ourselves through multiple ways or maybe through the actions of others, but that this is how Jesus feels, no matter which way we lost, whether we're the sheep or the coin or the prodigal son, he feels the same about us. The third question is, do we learn anything from these parables that can prevent us from getting lost in the future? Or the one I really want to focus on is, is do we learn anything, the, the, the hymn, um, dear to the heart of the shepherd, dear are the 99, and then out in the desert they wander, he goes after the one. There's a phrase in there where, he's, where we say, make us thy true under shepherds. Is there anything we can learn from these stories about being under shepherds? Um, President uh, or Elder Uchtdorf's talk in general conference about the wrestle with ministering, and perhaps they thought of calling it shepherds, but that would have made him a German shepherd. Um, <laughs> that comes to mind. That's the image. We are to do what the Savior is doing in these parables, in reaching out and helping and ministering to brothers and sisters. So what lessons do we learn? How do we do it? So I think the, the question that we'll answer first is, how do I not get lost in the first place? And... We were actually with our young women um, last week, and we were talking about that good, better, best principle. How do you not get distracted by good things, because there's lots of good things, but really go for the best things? And we just love some of their answers. I think the most common one was was sticking with family. Um, and then prayer was another one that they talked about. And um, going to the temple, mm -hmm. both for your doing work for yourself and doing work for, for your ancestors and staying connected to them. And, um, of course, scripture study, all of these things that, 
Um, we just loved the explanations that they gave and really the basic things, but that epitomize what the word seek ye first the kingdom of God is. If our focus is where it needs to be and we're really seeking after not only those good things, because you guys, there are so many good things to do in our lives right now. There's so many good things to be spending our time on that we really do kind of have to pare it down to those best things. And how are we going to focus on those? By putting God first and he allows us to help us and guide us to what the best things for us, for our time, for our situation needs to be. It's the tithing principle. We know it with money that if I pay tithing to God, then with the 90% I have left over, he allows me to do more with that 90% than I was able to do with 100%. So same thing with our time. It may seem like I don't have time to do these best things, you know, family history or going to the temple or scripture study. I don't have time for that because my life is so filled with good things. And the principle is, yeah, but if you'll focus on the best things first, if you'll seek the kingdom of God first, he will give you more time, more energy, and more ability to do so many other good things that you otherwise couldn't do. There's the quote from Ezra Taft Benson, and I really can just testify to this one um, because I've tried it out. And that's the quote where he says, when you put God first, all other things fall into their proper place or drop out of your lives. And the examples that he gives are the demands on your time, the interests that we pursue, the those are the only two I can think of because I didn't look up <laughs> we'll the quote. The, we'll link the talk. I will. Um, but even just those two, it just, it works. It works because God can show us and guide us when we are seeking him first. He tells us what's next and he tells us and he can give us and influence us in those ways that we that we need in today's world. Well, the question I wanted to answer was that second one of how do we rescue, how do we help others who might feel themselves lost, whether they're lost through their own carelessness, through others' negligence, or through just willful disobedience, um, regardless of which way they found themselves lost, how do we help them? Um, with this program of ministering, I think our church is built on the idea that we love each other and care about each other. I, I get frustrated when people say, well, we just don't know how to minister because of course you know how to minister. As soon as you find out that your neighbor has a need, you go and minister to them. You go and visit them and you talk to them and you care for them. And you, you know, we have, we have a wonderful, our, our courtyard that we live on in this area has just been filled with awesome neighbors um, that have just helped and served each other and it feels great. None of them have ever been our specific assignments or have been assigned to us, but we've ministered to each other constantly. So we know what ministering is because we do it all the time. We've been doing it for years. What we're confused about is how this particular program of ministering works. So here's my soapbox. In home teaching and visiting teaching, one of the problems that we ran into is that we focused on the home teacher and the visiting teacher. We tried to talk to them and motivate them to go and do their visits. With ministering, I think we need to reverse our focus. Instead of focusing on the ministering brothers and sisters, we need to focus on the individuals and families in our neighborhoods that need help. Then, as you identify a need, this family, as simple as they just had a baby, then you go to the ministering brother or sister and you say, here's this family to whom you're assigned. 
they have this need. Would you go help them? And there's not a family in the church. There's not an individual in the church that wouldn't say, of course, I would love to help. Now, that individual isn't going to go make a rote knock on the door visit. Hey, I'm your ministering brother. Is there anything I can help you with kind of visit? Because it's just awkward. But they will respond if they know, if they see a need. And so two applications from that. One, for us as ward members, as, as church members, we need to be much more open with our needs. We just need to talk to people. Call your ministering brothers or sisters and let them know what's going on. If you need help, ask them for their help because that helps them serve and it creates a lasting relationship. Number two, if you're in any kind of a leadership role, I know this sounds counterintuitive, but if you're the Relief Society president, you find out about a need in your Relief Society, your gut reaction is, I gotta go, I gotta go fix this, I gotta go help it. I've got to be the minister there. Stop yourself and call the ministering sisters first and ask them to make the visit. And if you wanna go with them, go with them. But give them your information, your knowledge about the need that, that, is, that needs to be filled and let them serve. I think as we do this, as we identify individuals' needs, we can really change ministering and we can share the load of caring for each other across many shoulders. Maybe we'll end with the end of the story of the prodigal son after the brother um, sees what the father is doing for this brother that wasn't doing what he was supposed to be doing, um, kind of has his, what do you call it? His, his complaint, his complaint against this, which you can understand. Mm -hmm. Right. Um, and then the father says, son, you are always with me and everything I have is yours, but we had to celebrate and rejoice because this brother of yours was dead and is alive again. He was lost and he is found. No matter where you find yourself on that scale of lost or found, or maybe you have people close to you that are lost or found, I would say don't lose hope and don't lose that love in your heart, that that forgiveness that we see so freely in these chapters, that Christ and our Father in Heaven is ready and willing um, to give to each one of us. Thank you for studying with us this week. We hope this begins a wonderful study for you. There's so much more in these chapters that you'll find and that you'll that will motivate you this week. But thanks for studying with us. Um, thanks for connecting with us on social media. Thanks for sharing this podcast with anyone that you think it might help. And we will see you next episode.